Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. G'day, mates. It's Bee Buster here. So before the episode begins, I would just like to say a huge thank you to CastBox for helping me make the CastBox original, Be Scared, which is produced along with Studio 71. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, and you can find all of your favorite podcasts there. Personally, I think CastBox is the best podcasting platform out there, and I hope you guys check it out because I think you'll be surprised at just how much variety they have and how user-friendly their app is. Anyway, guys, thanks for listening, and without further ado, let's begin. I found my old copy of my favourite childhood movie, and something's seriously wrong with it. Part 6, by Dopabine. Cruel, despairing anger swept over me. If it was going to end this way, no matter what, why hadn't he finished it earlier? Why did he wait long enough to hurt Mark and Carolyn? Why had he waited until me? He fell asleep after a while, but I couldn't. Whatever anaesthetic effect he had on Koenig's scratches was indeed fading. The dull, aching rot had returned and seemed to get worse every hour. Juliana was right. I was running out of time. Or rather, he was running out of time. I got out of bed and went downstairs a second time. Juliana waited in the living room. The dimmer suggestion of features crept through the layers of static. Against the mundane backdrop of my living room, her spidery malformed shape looked like a a surreal painting. Rage surged, choked out almost immediately by fear and sorrow. Why won't you let him go? If I could, was her almost gentle response. I would. Then why are you here? It must have been my imagination, but... I could practically feel my fever spiking, but under the static, I thought I saw those nascent features droop. The day he kept his mother dead, he told us to leave. He broke us, so we left him. I tried to make sense of this, but that awful voice of hers, that hiss underscored by low buzzing, made my head spin. When he truly understood that we were gone, guilt consumed him. From the power of his own self-loathing, he reformed us. She paused. Her strange, glimmering skin surged, crackling and burning white for an instant. And 
All at once, I understood. Even after freeing himself from that generational curse, Jesse felt that he owed this phantom its revenge. He was too gentle to do it and too afraid of becoming like Koenig. But he still felt so deeply obligated to Juliana in her pain that he hated himself for not giving her what she wanted. Hated himself enough to create a second curse. Whenever he feels joy, he immediately feels guilt and self-hatred returns. Men who hate themselves lash out. In the end, he'll hate you too for making him happy, and he'll loathe himself all the more for it. Juliana reached out hesitantly, as if to touch me, but I jerked away. She recoiled as if burned. Very few of us die with any purpose. Just leave him to it. It's all he'll ever have. I tried to speak, to yell or even rage, but all that issued was a weak hiccuping gasp. Curses die with their creators, she continued. You will be free from both of them. The gentleness suddenly went away and was replaced with creeping bitter venom. So many of us tried to die for that very freedom. My breath caught and hitched wildly. I could barely make a sound, let alone cry, and sadness eclipsed everything, even the pulsing poisonous agony building along the healing lines of Koenig's slashes. The floor creaked upstairs. I looked up, half panicked. When I turned back, Juliana was gone, seemingly eaten by the shadows. Her absence calmed me, and by the time Jesse peered over the banister to check on me, I had managed a, a passable facade of calmness. He knew that something was wrong though, but I didn't say anything. What would be the point? He tried to call off work, but our boss coaxed him into half a day. Because he's Jesse, he couldn't say no. After all, the boy with enough self-hatred to curse himself was probably wallowing in self-loathing over leaving Mark and Carolyn. It was wasted emotion on his part though. I wasn't going to let him leave them. Jesse promised to be back by lunch, and before I knew it, I was alone, shivering as sweat drenched my pajamas. Since he was only working half a shift, I had to hurry. I changed without bothering to shower or even brush my hair, then swallowed several ibuprofen in a, a weak attempt to keep the pain and fever at bay, and finally also wrote a note. It read, I'm sorry, I have to get out of here, I'm driving to the beach come when you're done working. The beach was two hours away from my apartment, nearly four away the cabin. Hopefully, it would throw him off long enough. In spite of all of this, I almost didn't bring myself to leave. Death is one thing. I've lost enough that I'm not scared anymore, but I was planning. It wasn't the same as dying. And so, I made myself think of Jesse his perpetual gentleness and sweet smile, of his never-ending selflessness. No one had ever taken care of him. No one had ever put him first. But I finally could. I'm good with routes and directions, always have been. If you put me in a dark room and spun me around, I could probably figure out which way is north. Remembering the way to that isolated little house was pretty easy. Getting there was hard. As bad as the pain had been, Jesse's absence made it a hundred times worse. It was a blessing that so much of the road was isolated because I was essentially driving drunk. 
With every moment, the pain exploded like some kind of perpetual firework, blistering, consumptive, and overwhelming. By the time I finally reached the lake, I was crying helplessly. Only when I pulled up to the shore did I realize my dilemma. I'd find the cottage, sure, but where the hell was the pit? I struggled to lay the lushly illustrated painted dream over the landscape in front of me. To the east of the lake, there was a large overgrown meadow, and beyond that a wall of trees. In the dream, Jesse had dragged Koenig across a field to the pit. I put my jeep in gear, gasping as the slight movement provoked a burst of agony, and trundled over to the meadow. Pain and fear aside, everything was incredibly beautiful. Tall grass and wildflowers seemed to trap the mid-morning sunlight, infusing the land with a soft glow. Glittering insects danced through the air like living diamonds. I parked at the tree line and stumbled through the woods. Buzzing insects and the papery whisper of leaves in the breeze made my head throb. The colors looked too bright, almost technicolor with a deep hazy softness that was so close to a painted dream I wondered if I'd fallen asleep in my car. The pit lay 15 minutes from the meadow. Greenery spilled over the edges, lining the walls with a cluster of weeds and tiny flower vines. Wild grass carpeted the bottom lush and damp. I lowered myself down and, though six feet deep at most, it was cold. My head felt like a pressure cooker and whenever I closed my eyes, it was easy to imagine my wound was on fire blazing a slow destructive burn so the damp chill was actually welcome. I checked my phone, 11.04. The sunset was a long, long way off. Jesse would come home in a couple of hours, see the note and hopefully drive out to the beach. And then it would be three o'clock. Even if he'd figured out where I was, he wouldn't have time to get here and stop me. I leaned against the earthen wall, relishing the cool softness. Tiny vines tickled my cheek and the chill soothed away some of the fever. But only for a while. Within an hour, I was completely delirious. Half asleep and burning with fever, tatters of dreams began to engulf me. First, I saw Jesse in Carolyn's backyard, sitting by the garden we planted while the static monster whispered things I didn't understand. She said, you must fall asleep first. Vengeance dreams are prisons. The first to enter holds the key and writes the laws. That beautiful yard of green and pristine grey faded to a familiar landscape under a grey sky, heaving with dark storm clouds. Half-buried bodies with horrific injuries jutted from the earth. Jesse curled on the ground, screaming as those broken corpses clawed toward him. Let me go, he screamed. I don't want it. But that dream burst apart, reforming into Carolyn and Mark's kitchen. Jesse quickly blinked tears away as Mark eagerly jabbed over a toy car. Mark noticed, of course, and he asked what the matter was. Jesse shook his head and rubbed his eyes. He replied with allergies. Mark said that that was bullshit. He said that it was true. He was allergic to sad stuff. Mark's eyebrows knit in concern. Yeah, so, men, I know it's hard for you, but you have to do something for me, okay? What? Just 
be nice to the girls here. Make sure that you show them your cars and stuff, okay? Reluctance, relief, and uncertainty flickered over Mark's face. Uh, okay, uh, I can do that, I guess. Jesse managed to smile. You're awesome, you know. Mark rolled his eyes, but looked rather pleased with himself. Jesse maintained that smile for a moment and then excused himself and went into the yard. He stopped by the tree and leaned against it, breathing raggedly. A single tear, sparkling like a star, trailed down his face and sank into the grass. That glittering drop expanded into a blinding explosion, obliterating the landscape in a bright nova before fading into a black void where only I existed. I woke up to agony and the harsh vibration of my phone. Fingers shaking, I took it out. It was 4.10 in the afternoon and I had a message from Jesse. It read, Got your note. No worries. They're keeping me late, but I'll meet you when I'm done. There was something wrong with this. Something just didn't make sense. I tried to concentrate, but everything hurt and my head swam. A second vibration. Another message. This one read, I love you. It was the first time either of us had said it, and in a message, something was just wrong about it. I knew it. I could feel it, but what was it? The world bled and swam, morphing and reforming into an indistinct wash of rich color. Pain exploded and I convulsed, causing dirt and tiny flowers to crumble around my hands. When the agony finally subsided enough for me to refocus, my heart stopped. Koenig lounged across from me, wearing his hideous dream form, a lapine dragon of gold and rot. Pain flared and burst, excruciating to a degree that I couldn't have imagined. I wanted to pass out. I wanted to die even. You deluded child, he said. Gods don't look kindly upon those who use them on our own terms. Not that you're wrong. Gods are only what we make them, a fact they eagerly forget. He surged forward, crawling like a giant Komodo dragon. His yellow eye blazed, reflecting the brilliant gold of his decaying scales. Like a cobra under a snake charmer's thrall, I found myself mesmerized. Not just unable to move, but unwilling. He won't come to you. Karakor has no interest in the unexceptional. Well, I guess we have that in common. I snapped. He grinned, then huffed with laughter. <laughs> you have more in common with me than you do with our wonderful boy. I watched him wondering if he was going to kill me. The thought brought a measure of relief. What do you want from Karakor anyway? Nothing you would understand. He withdrew, leaving a scatter of broken scales in his wake. He reared up, suddenly gigantic, a glimmering idol of rot towering far past the pit, and he began to fade. I tried to focus, tried for some reason to make him stay, but no. Moments later, I was alone again. I faded into a swirl of darkness and rich afternoon light, and suddenly the pit was gone. I stood in my living room, not in reality but in a painted dream. A flat, domestic backdrop provided a, a perfect canvas for the stunning interplay of light and soft shadows. 
As I watched, Jesse came downstairs with a pill bottle in his hands. My medicine, the sleeping pills that I'd gotten from the hospital. But why? And why was he here? He said that they were keeping him late. But if he was working late, how had he seen the note? Because he lied. He wasn't staying late. He'd come home on time and seen the note. He thought that I was two hours away, reconsidering my life and our relationship on a chilly beach. And he decided to take advantage of my absence. He decided to die today. Well before I'd have any chance of summoning Koenig's demon god. Jesse flinched suddenly, face twisting into a grimace of pain as his hand flew to his temple. Then his eyes widened in panic. The static phantom whipped into being, pulling herself from the gilded shadows. Listen to me. She's dreaming of you right now in Karakor's pit. Why? He whispered. He ran his hands through his hair, chest heaving as his face twisted, a single beautiful fluid motion. He took a deep, ragged breath and screamed. Why didn't you tell me? The scene then cut to black. I woke in the pit. Sweat soaked my clothes and drenched my hair. Everything hurt. A pain that I can't describe. Rotten and sweet, slow and burning and consuming. Not like it was eating me, but like it was roasting me and turning me inside out. For the first time, I realized how catastrophically stupid I'd been. Pain, terror, horror, sadness, guilt and anger ran together. This was done. Karakor wouldn't have time to come. All I'd done was give Jesse a reason to kill himself sooner than if I'd just stayed at home. I tried to climb out of the pit, but my body was seized up, refusing to let me inflict any more pain on myself. I slid back down. The dirt was refreshingly cool. The soft sprigs of vines and flowers felt gentle as any kiss. The consciousness flickered in and out. The cold pit melted into warm gold and vibrant green of a late afternoon meadow. Jesse's car tore across it, kicking up clouds of dust and grass. It came to a violent halt just short of the trees. There was someone with him in the passenger seat, but I didn't have time to see. Jesse hurtled out of the car and into the woods, dodging rocks and fallen trees with thoughtless familiarity. The static phantom streaked ahead of him reflecting green and gold and rich brown shadow. I heard them approach, first in the dream and then in reality as I surfaced. I heard a thump, then woke fully to Jesse's hands on my face. He pushed my hair away and pressed his fingers to my forehead and throat. I tried to focus, but he looked simultaneously too bright and too blurry. She's too hot. The fever's going to kill her. She needs a hospital. The static phantom whipped to his side teeth bared in a frantic snarl. You don't have time, and he's with us. Have you forgotten he did this to her? You did, he hissed. He was painted again, him and everything else. The soft layers, rich colors and lush lighting created a curiously breathtaking scene. Jesse's shoulders heaved, and tears pulled and fell, hitting my cheek. I hate you, and finish this and be done with us. Rigors set in, deep, painful chills rolling down my spine, creating pain so profound it made me gag. 
Jesse grabbed my hand and continued to stroke my hair back. Shh, he said softly. It's just a bad dream, okay? I closed my eyes. He must have soothed me into sleep because when I opened my eyes, I wasn't in the pit anymore. The sky blazed with orange and copper, red and gold, sunset colors, setting the sky on fire and reflecting off the glorious, beautiful lake. The dilapidated little cottage lay on the other side, a rich black shadow against the brilliant evening. Jesse parked his car several yards from the shore. He got out, ignoring his chuckling passenger. It was Koenig, of course, slumping in the seat as his head lolled. The static phantom snapped into being at Jessie's side, only she wasn't static anymore. She was painted, swirling with the hues of the sunset above. They went to the shore of the lake, but Jessie's feet ground softly on the pebbles. Sunset light gilded his hair and infused him with a soft, almost beautific light. He lowered himself to his haunches and carefully dipped his hands into the lake. Ripples fanned out gentle silvery rings spreading across the coppery water to the other shore. The painted phantom dived. The water was so clear that it made her small form perfectly visible, drenching her in brilliant light, like looking through an enchanted mirror into another world. Her body twisted, compressing into a, a ripple of darkness and plunged out of sight. Jesse rested his forehead against the sand for a long moment and then stood and returned to his car. He shook several pills, too many, far, far too many, into his hand and gulped them down. He waited a few minutes until the first waves of drowsiness washed over him. Koenig's mildly amused confusion turned to horror when Jesse forced the scant remainder down his throat. He shook his head weakly and attempted to spit up the pills, but Jesse forced them back down covering Koenig's mouth and tilting his head back like a dog until he helplessly swallowed. Blinking heavily, Jesse put the car into gear and sped toward the shore. It crashed into the lake, sending up great foamy wings of water that glittered in the lush orange light and swiftly sank. But despite my panic, the scene was hypnotic. But the lake suddenly looked dark. Dying light shafted into the black water, creating a tunnel of blazing orange. The car drifted within, dreamily beautiful in the particular way of animated films. I leapt after it, diving with a speed and surety that I could never have accomplished in reality. G'day mates. So, I just wanted to take a quick break before the second half of the story to thank all of you guys for listening to Be Scared. If you're a new listener, welcome to The Hive. And if you're a long-time fan, thanks for checking out the podcast. If you could please take a moment to do me a favor to rate and review the show, that would be a huge help. And if you have any stories that you would like to submit for future episodes, you can send them to my email at bish.buster at gmail.com. That's b-i-s-h dot b-u-s-t-a at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning in, and without further ado, here's the rest of the story. Cloaked in columns of glittering bubbles, I swam down to the car and peered into the driver's side window. Jesse was already asleep. Koenig struggled weakly as water flooded the car. He turned and saw me. That bright yellow eye flashed, unreadable and blindingly bright. Jesse thrashed suddenly. I pulled at the door, but 
It was locked. He saw me through the window and sagged, misery written in every line of his face. The fading daylight reflected in his eyes, dancing like pools of gold. I'm sorry, he mouthed. Over his shoulder, Koenig shifted. I frowned, trying to understand what I was seeing. Jesse followed my gaze, turning just as the golden dragon erupted from the old man's body. He was so much larger than he'd been in the pit. A ghastly leviathan with membranous wings. But the sheer size of him tore the car apart. The roof gave way with a squeal and glass shattered, spilling a thousand glittering stars into the lake. The displaced water sent me careening toward the darkness. I grabbed the chassis just in time, watching as the dragon struggled to the surface. Jagged glass and broken metal spun in a sparkling tornado, cutting his wings to shreds. Red blood seeped into the water, quickly expanding into thick clouds. Jesse tangled himself into the fragile flesh, punching through the membranes and snapping bones. Koenig's maw opened, bright teeth flashing as he expelled a jet of bubbles. He twisted and lunged at Jesse, who dodged just in time. He pulled Koenig's wing with him, ripping a massive section away entirely. Blood torrented from the ruined skin, casting strange shadows as it curled through the water. Jesse planted his feet against the ruins of the car and pushed down, dragging Koenig with him. I watched in wonder as they spun downward. Bubbles glowed and flashed like embers, lit to the blinding brightness by the dying sun. I looked up anxiously. The quality of the light had deepened. Twilight was coming. And with it... I turned away, glancing at the destroyed car and saw something that made my blood run cold. Koenig's frail human body remained harnessed in his seat. So did Jesse's. Panicking, I looked down into the impossible depths of the lake and sure enough, there they were. Jesse and his terrible dragon, hurling each other through the water and plunging ever further as the lake blazed under the day's last light. I kicked down after them. Koenig beat his ruined wings, creating a vortex of blood, water, and tattered flesh. He gained momentum, briefly surging upward. I swam down frantically and caught one of his feet. Shaped like paws with enormous cruel claws, they felt unpleasantly spongy. Koenig kicked viciously, catching me across the stomach with a claw. I ignored the pain and bore down with all my weight as Jesse continued to shred his wings. Together, we fought and dragged him down, but we weren't strong enough. Even bleeding and broken, Koenig overpowered us. He strained upward, pulling us with him inch by agonizing inch, all the way past the car. Unable to help myself, I looked in, heart seizing at the sight of Jesse's motionless body. Then, something appeared overhead. A dark silhouette against the burnt orange sky growing larger every second as it dived down. Jesse's dog. She beelined for an exposed bone in his wing and latched on, whipping around to weigh him down. It was just enough to reverse Koenig's slow ascent. Jesse braced himself and turned, clutching bloody tatters of Koenig's wings, and then pushed off. The sudden shift of balance disorientated Koenig. He tilted and overcorrected, pushing off desperately as Jesse swung around to disorientate him further. In the confusion, Koenig reversed his trajectory and propelled himself downward, just within reach of a corpse's weighted hand. I looked on in astonishment. How had I missed them? 
Dozens, perhaps hundreds, waited in the depths, hands extended and face turned toward the sun. For the very first time, Koenig's grotesque face twisted in panic. His eyes glowed like a, a yellow moon as the bodies swarmed him. Feeling suddenly and inexplicably weak, I saw a trail of blood snaking from my belly. My shirt rippled, riding up on a surge of water, and I saw a wound. Not the old ones, the ones that were supposedly healed, but a new and much deeper one, right where his claw had caught me. Unwholesome hints of pink and purple peeked from within, competed for space with a, a wicked, unsettling golden glimmer. Jesse saw and he reached for me, but Koenig's tail came slicing through the water, forcing us apart. Down below, a dozen pairs of hands latched onto Koenig's skin, all in various stages of decay, dull green and faded brown, tattered flesh drifting from their bones and strings. Together, they began to rend him apart. Bony fingers dug into the rot between his scales. Spurts of blood clouded the water. Swirls of scales and chunks of flesh spun upward. They forced him down even further toward black depths that I couldn't comprehend. The more pieces of the dragon floated upward, rising to meet the surface. To my shock, the static monster flew past and landed on his face. He snapped desperately, but she was too weak and he too weak and with a single vicious moment, she tore his eye out and darted away. Most of his skin and scales were gone, leaving heaving walls of raw flesh and exposed ribs. The horror and panic on his face made me feel ill. I wanted to cry, even scream. Contrary to expectation, there was no glory in this vengeance, no joy or triumph, just miserable finality, a hideous tragic end for a hideous tragic thing. Slowly, the victims crawled up his body, tearing pieces away from his bones as they dragged him down. Soon, he was little more than bone and sinew, shedding floods of blood into the lake. Yet, he continued to fight viciously. I tried to swim down to help, but my legs only kicked weakly. I realized suddenly how tired I felt. I watched, vaguely enchanted, as trails of blood drifted from my belly. Jesse came up beside me. He was wounded too, hands and arms and face bleeding terribly. He wrapped his arms around me and kicked up. Darkness hurtled past and light brightened. We shot past clusters of Koenig's dismembered pieces and past the shell of the car before finally slowing. Down below, Koenig extended the ghastly ruins of his wings. It was hard to tell because he was so far away. So very deep in the water, but it looked like he too was moving upward. Jesse cut my face and, after a second's hesitation, kissed me. And then he placed a bleeding hand against the cut. His presence and the gentle weightlessness of that water made me blissfully comfortable. I leaned against him, relaxing as the pain vanished under his hand. Suddenly, he dropped down, head level with my hips, and then shoved me upward. I reached back for him. My fingertips brushed his as I looked at him, uncomprehending. He smiled gently and then turned and dived down as I broke the surface. That fiery column of sunset light was almost gone now, but in the weak remainder, I saw him hurtle back down to Coney with the speed of a torpedo. I tried to go after him, but that damn grey dog exploded out of the water and knocked me on the shore. 
I crawled to the edge of the lake, aware that I was crying. Jesse reached the others, twisting himself around the gory devastation of the dragon's body. As I watched, Koenig stopped resisting. Finally, as he drifted beyond the reach of the light, he stopped moving altogether. The last I saw of him was a final breathtaking glimmer of the bloody scales around his nose. I tried to dive back in, but the dog rammed me back, and suddenly I was awake, cold, soaking wet and shivering in the pit. Gasping, I stood up, my clothes dripping water and blood as small rocks on my phone fell from my lap, thumping to the ground. I heaved myself out of the pit and I hit the ground running. It was nearly dark now. Twilight was fading fast, giving way to the kind of lush, cool spring night I used to dream about. Halfway between the pit and the lake, I realized the pain and the fever were gone. At some point, I realized an old, tiny dog was running at my side, panting and tumbling over tangles of grass. After what felt like an eternity, we reached the lake. It retained its lovely, unsettling smoothness, except for a twisted lump of metal rising perhaps 10 feet from the shore. The car was there, mostly intact except for the flood of water. The Koenig's body lay in the passenger seat and Jesse, my poor beautiful selfless boy, lay still and pale in the driver's seat. I pulled him out and dragged him to the shore, but it was far too late. His lips, eyelids and fingernails, they were all blue, and the rest of him white as the rising moon. It took more than an hour, but I dragged him back to the pit and waited as insects sang and the moon brightened. The dog curled by his elbow, huffing and whining. I found my phone in the pit, alongside a jagged yellow stone. Unable to help myself, I touched it. It was warm and unpleasantly soft, almost spongy. I shut it and tossed it away. I waited all night, but Koenig was right. Karakor, he never came. When dawn broke, I walked to my car and drove away. The dog refused to come with me, and when I tried to pick her up, she bit me. So I left them together, which seemed right anyway, and cried all the way back home, wishing that I'd stayed with them. I didn't call the police, because I'm afraid to. I don't want anyone thinking Jesse was an abusive monster who murdered his grandfather. I don't want to explain to anyone why I was there or why I dragged his dead body across some mile of fields and woods to a ditch. I haven't been back to work, even though I'm not sick anymore and the wounds are completely gone. The idea of being with Mark when he realizes Jesse isn't coming back is crippling. For the first couple of nights, I've had a painted dream this time about one of the girls who works with Carolyn part-time. At first, I thought it was a holdover, a type of stress nightmare, until tonight. I've been sleeping a lot, and today was no exception, and I had two dreams that looked painted. One of Jesse and I, back in that idyllic meadow together, falling asleep as clouds sailed across the sky and grass swayed around our heads. But the second was different, darker. In it, a skeletal figure crawled out of that glassy little lake. It could only be Jessie's mother somehow, with her stringy hair and crushed skull. She staggered through the meadow and into the woods and then clumsily descended into the pit. 
she settled herself beside his body. For a painted dream, it was quite coy. I couldn't see Jesse's body, only his arm, puffy and livid. She took Jesse's bloated hand as darkness gathered among the trees, growing into a horned, ember-eyed shadow. And then, I woke up. I can't describe the hope I'm feeling. It's close to horror, almost panic. So intense and overwhelming that I want to throw up. But I don't understand how it's possible. Koenig killed Jesse's mother. He never had the chance to breathe life back into her because Jesse paralyzed him right after. She wasn't even trapped in the lake, so I'm just afraid that this is a, a trick of Koenig's. That or a desperately hopeful misfire of my brain. A subconscious attempt to soothe my overwhelming despair. Even if it's not a trick, what will I find? Koenig? Jesse's corpse? His mother's mummified remains? Caracor himself? And all without the beautiful comforting filter of a painted dream. But that's the thing. The painted dreams are Jesse's curse. If they're supposed to die with him, then why am I having them? I don't know, and I'm so afraid... I feel sick, but I have to find out though. It would break Jesse's heart to know this, but I hate waking up. And so, if he's alive in any form, I have to know. If he's whole and well, then wonderful. If not, then one way or another, I'll make an appointment with Caracor. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Be Scared Podcast. And please, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode too. Also, it would be much appreciated if you could share this new podcast with your friends and family, and on social media too. Thanks again for listening guys, and I'll see you mates in the next one. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.